Warning. This podcast frequently contains disturbing and graphic content. User discretion is highly advised. As an additional warning, this episode does feature mention of suicide. Hello again, Nightmare Society. A big welcome to our newest official members of the Nightmare Society online campfire. Steph T, Heather W, and Heaven. Welcome and thanks so much for your support. We really appreciate it. Also, a big thanks goes to user IDK, what to call this, AC, user here for LNM, and Anonymous for sharing their stories with us tonight. And we've got some pretty creepy ones. So get comfy and prepare yourself for another episode of The Nightmare Society. This happened less than a year ago after work, so for me around 10 p.m. It was me and my co-worker in the car as we were driving home. So I was driving to her place, taking my normal route there since I frequently drive her home. We were childhood friends before we were co-workers. We were driving a normal pace, respecting road rules, and legit nothing seemed off at all until I neared a stop sign and started slowing down. I noticed the car behind me stopped really close to me. I mentioned something to my friend who said something along the lines of it was probably just a mistake, but I had that weird feeling in my stomach. So we keep driving, and they start shining their high beams at me so I can't see. And at the start, I was like, I probably just have a back light out or something like that. So I pull to the side because, like I mentioned, I can barely see. So they speed by. They drive by super fast and take a right at the next light. So I'm like, what the heck is happening? And my friend is also weirded out, but not scared. Anyway, I get back on the road and turn right at my friend's street before the lights. As I'm driving down her street, the car can be seen down the road we're turning off of. We both kind of do that. (laughs) I'm scared, laugh, and speed up a bit to get to her house quicker. Then it turns onto the street that we're on. I'm at this point thinking this is a friend of ours who recognized my car and is messing with us. So I pull over again and I roll down my window expecting them to stop. Since at this point we thought the person might be a friend because they knew her house and the area. But they speed by going like literally a hundred miles an hour on a suburban street. And they circle at the end of the road and do it again before speeding down the road and turning off it. We're freaking out. I finally pull into the driveway because obviously I was not going to go to my friend's actual house while they were there. I wait 15 minutes and we're debating on if I should drive home alone. After the 15 minutes I decide there's no way they're still there. 
They left a while ago. Why would they wait? So I say bye and she tells me to text her if anything's wrong and let her know when I get home. So this is when it gets even more weird. I take a turn off her street to head towards the lights. Yet right across from the turn off her street is a school and a school parking lot. As I turn off her street I see the car. Sitting in the parking lot. High beams on. Waiting. I was thinking to myself, turn around, go back to her house. But my house was only a five minute drive away. So I said screw it. I start heading towards the lights and the car pulls out of the school right behind me. I grab my phone and of course it's on 2% and I'm trying to type a phone call in and it dies. I wish I was kidding but at that moment it legit killed my soul. I thought to myself this is it unless I can avoid this car. So I'm driving to my house and the car is still following me. I start taking weird routes and they're still following. We get right near my house and there's a street that splits off into two before rejoining again. I take the right turn and he stays left. Now this alarmed me because if this car was really after me, they knew that street reconnected. So I went halfway down before three point turning and coming back. I thought I had lost them. I took a turn onto a random street after going back the way they came and in the very back of my mirror, high beams again at the end of the street. This is when I felt my adrenaline kick in like this is do or die. I take a turn down the alleyway where my dad lives, five minutes away from my house, and the car turns down the street before it, hoping to cut me off at the end. But I pull into my dad's back driveway and kill the lights. I see the car stop at the end of the alleyway for two minutes before pulling off. I went to the door since my phone was dead but my dad wasn't home. I eventually, after 45 minutes of sitting there, drive home. No car following me. I was debating driving to the nearest police station but it's 20 minutes away. I made it to my driveway and told my mom. I told her to be careful and describe the vehicle. I never saw the person or license plate because of the high beams which made me think they've done this before. We are both only two young girls who were in my car, which really scared my mom. To this day, no idea what caused this or what their intentions were, but still one of my scariest experiences. When I was eight, my family was visiting my uncle who lived in Backwoods, Missouri. He lived on a lot of land, and the only other people who really even lived on the street were relatives, so no one ever just happened to be out there. This meant no one ever locked their doors, because random family members were always coming by for this or that. One night while we were there, my parents and aunt and uncle decided to go to a nearby town to go bowling. My brothers, who were 11 and 12, my female cousins, 6 and 14, and I, female, stayed home. It was still daylight when the adults left, but it started raining pretty hard and got dark quickly. 
We used to play this game that was essentially hide and seek in the dark house, but we cleverly called it Vampire. There was a thin little mattress on the living room floor that some of the kids would sleep on at night, so that the person who was it would lie on the mattress and fold it over themselves like a coffin and count down to midnight. When they got to midnight, they went looking for you. Again, all the lights are off and you tried to make it back to the coffin before you got caught. Because the house was in the country, it was pitch black at night. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. What this meant for the game was that one, you could not tell where the vampire was looking, so you just had to make a break for it. And two, if you were extremely lazy, and I'm sure by now you can guess which one of us met those standards, you could hide in the living room with the coffin and get to base quickly. Ben, my 11-year-old brother, was it and was doing the normal countdown. I was hiding maybe six feet from him. As he's counting, there's a flash of lightning. I don't know if I was already looking at the living room window or if the lightning made me look. But with the backlight of the lightning, I see a man with his face pressed against the window. He had his hands on each side of his face as if he was trying to peer in. and looks exactly like the stereotypical creepster. Scraggly beard, heavy set, etc. I could feel every hair on my body standing on end. Immediately I began trying to convince myself that I didn't see what I saw. But then Ben sternly whispered, If anyone is hiding in here, stay still. I sort of croaked out, and I'm here, right as there was another flash of lightning. Creepster was still there, but was no longer trying to look in the window. Instead, he was now looking toward the front door. Ben and I immediately knew what was coming next. From where he was standing, Creepster was probably only five feet from the front door. Ben was the same distance, but there was a couch between him and the door. Ben leapt over the couch and locked the door right as Creepster started trying the handle. At this point, I guess Ben decided that it was best to let Creepster know that people were home and that we knew he was there, because he flipped on the porch light and then started turning on the lights in the house. This is going to sound weird, but I was too terrified to panic. Having said that, I was relying completely on Ben to know and tell me what to do. He told me to go lock the other doors and was yelling for everyone to come out and lock all of the windows. Honestly, the next few minutes are hazy in my mind. I remember everything up until this point extremely clearly. Then I remember the end very clearly, but I'm less clear about the middle. I know that I locked the side door and then the sliding glass door on the back of the house. When we've talked about it over the years, some people remember us seeing him out the back door as well. I don't think I remember that. What I clearly recall is locking the sliding glass door and standing there frozen and hearing Ben in a very calm but very firm voice say, Close the curtain. Listen to me, okay? Close the curtain. So I did. Ben can't remember that part and I just remember my fear and Ben's voice. So I'm not sure if I saw Creepster in the backyard or not. 
We tried to call the police, but my aunt and uncle had a stupid party line, and it wouldn't work. Whether from the storm, or from a neighbor leaving it off the hook, or whatever. For the record, they are the only people I've ever known with a party line, so this wasn't normal to me either. But for those of you who don't know what that is, in really rural areas, multiple people on the street would actually share a phone line. It would have different rings for different households, but you could pick up the phone and listen to your neighbor's conversation. We also tried to summon help on my uncle's CB radio, but could not reach anyone. My uncle was a hunter, so he had a gun rack full of rifles in his room, but my older cousin was on an out-of-town hunting trip and took them with him. All we could find was a BB gun that looked like a real rifle. I vividly remember Ben putting me on phone duty and Scott, my older brother, on CB duty while he stood watch at the little square window on the front door with the BB gun. Maybe 30 minutes later, Ben said, He's back! He's coming up the driveway! The rest of us froze in fear, but Ben opened the front door and stepped out on the porch, pointed the gun, and said, Get out of here right now! Then we hear our cousin Kyle, who lived down the road a bit, say, You know that's a BB gun, right? Even though Kyle was only 15, I remember that we felt like we had been saved when he showed up. Kyle seemed really skeptical of our story, like we were playing a trick on him, even though we had no idea he was coming. But he stayed with us until our parents came home. Honestly, I don't remember if we even told our parents what happened when they got home. There was definitely no police involvement, though. We just went on with our trip. But we never played vampire again without some mention of that night. After sharing this story, I went back and talked with my cousin Ben about the event to see if I remembered it correctly. And he remembers it pretty well the same. He did say that when I was at the back door, that the creepster was actually at the back door. He said that after I was locking the side door, we saw creepster moving around to the back of the house. So Ben told me to hurry and lock the sliding glass door. Those doors are right around the corner from each other, so I was closest. According to Ben, and this is what I thought happened, but I didn't want to say it unless I was positive. As soon as I flipped the lock on the back door, the guy was standing there, just looking at me. I just stood there for a couple of beats, looking at him, and that's when Ben told me to close the curtain. We also saw him in the front yard one more time after that. It was a large front yard with a long gravel driveway. Off to one side of the driveway, quite a ways from the house, was a spot where my cousins parked cars ones that they were working on. While we were on watch, we saw Creepster messing with one of the cars. It was actually Kyle's. When he couldn't get it started, he walked into the woods that ran beside the house, and we didn't see him again after that. I grew up in a suburb of Raleigh, North Carolina that has a virtually non-existent crime rate. My father and I moved there when I was six, 
he was always busy so I pretty much had raised myself. So naturally I attended school there, made all of my lifelong relationships there, so on and so forth. In 2008 I was a senior in high school. I had a very close-knit group of friends, primarily composed of people I had known since middle school. One such friend had just recently come back from Holly Hill, which was our local mental hospital, after a suicide attempt. Matt had been gone for a couple of weeks. I saw him in the courtyard before heading to class. Unfortunately, I didn't really have time to talk, so all I said to him was, Welcome back. I missed you. I would have risked being late to class if I had known that would be the last thing I would say to him. Matt had suffered from depression and dementia for years, but he kept a pretty good rap on the details so none of his friends really had a big inkling of how severe it was until the aforementioned suicide attempt. We got out of school for Thanksgiving break and one of our mutual friends messaged me on Facebook and asked if I'd like to go paintballing with them on the night of the 30th. I had to turn them down because I had to go see my grandparents the next morning for a late Thanksgiving celebration. It wasn't a big deal, just kind of a disappointment. Break came and went and we went back to school. Matt was absent again. There had been a rumor floating around that he had run away from home and gone to Washington DC to look for his birth mother. I wasn't sure I believed that especially that he would go off on this long-term trip without at least mentioning it to me first. In between switching classes, I called his cell phone to find it off. I didn't think anything of it. A few days later, during lunchtime, there was a buzz around the school that Allegra, our mutual friend from earlier, and Ideal, someone else who I was more acquaintances with than friends, but I knew of him, had been taken out of class and arrested. We had no idea what had happened, but I had a strange feeling it had something to do with Matt's absence. After that, all I could really think about was where Matt was and the fact that Allegra sat right behind me in Shakespeare class, and that she was so tired that she slept through class the day we came back from break. The school tried to keep everything quiet in regard to the students theorizing and talking to one another, but it was high school, and word travels fast. When we weren't talking, we were texting each other about it. Our local news website reported in an article that four of Matt's friends had been arrested in connection with a body found in Allegra's parents' summer home. And you guessed it, it was Matt. Two years afterward, Allegra, Adil, and two other people from Matt's circle of friends went on trial. Allegra received two consecutive 20-year terms for conspiracy to commit murder, and murder in the second degree. Adil received the same. Two others in the trial received a life sentence for first-degree murder and accessory after the fact to first-degree murder. I watched the trial unfold. All of the trial is available online as well if anyone wanted to learn about it. There's a lot more details than I can post here without boring everyone, but you should be able to type in the details into Google and find the story. They killed him on the night of November 30th, the night they asked me to come paintballing with them. There was a period of time where I kicked myself for not going that night. 
I like to think that I would have had some, if a little, influence in stopping them. So people who I thought I knew and thought were friends to myself and Matt, let's not ever meet again. If you're interested in reading more about this trial, I'm going to share a post on Patreon with the link the uh, poster shared. It will be available to anyone, so even if you're not a member of the online campfire, you should still be able to see the post and have access to the link. If I can find any photos, I'll be sharing those to Instagram as well. So if you're on IG, check out at Nightmare Society Radio. Thank you all so much for listening. And until next time. Sweet.